Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, November 12th. I am Aranza Loizaga, and these are today's headlines. A historic day in our nation's capital, the Supreme Court hearing oral arguments about the future of DACA. At stake, the lives of approximately 700,000 dreamers. President Trump suffering another legal setback, a judge ruling that if New York State has access to his taxes, those records can be used by House investigators. And after resigning his post as president of Bolivia, Evo Morales lands in Mexico claiming he was ousted as a result of a coup. We'll have the latest on that situation in La Paz. This and much more today on U News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. A decisive day for thousands of dreamers. Today, the Supreme Court heard arguments on the future of DACA. That's a program that protects almost 700,000 young undocumented people from deportation. The justice is now determining whether the Trump administration can cancel the program. Lorraine Cáceres is in Washington, D.C. with the latest. Lorraine, what is the situation like outside of the Supreme Court? That's right. It's been a long day, a rainy day, cold day, but that hasn't stopped hundreds of dreamers of coming here to show not only their their need, but also the support for immigration reform in this country, something that affects millions of people. I have here with me Fatima. She came all the way from Nebraska, where there's a community of dreamers of about 3,000, you were saying. What did it mean to you to come all the way here? It really has been the experience of a lifetime. I've had the opportunity to not only show my demonstration and my support outside of the Supreme Court, but I also had the opportunity to sit in while they were having the oral arguments for and against DACA. Um, so it has been an incredible experience. I'm very humbled and very energized, and I'm ready to get back home and get to work. Can you talk a little bit about the environment inside the court when the arguments first started? I would say that it was very, it's serious. Um, it's quiet and it's very respectful, and I think that goes to show how important it is to many people. It's very packed. There's representation. Um, women, men, people of color, allies, streamers, soccer recipients. Um, so it shows how wide this topic hits people and why we need to show up to these kind of events. Can you talk a, lot, a little bit about the questions that the justices were asking? I know there was a lot of back and forth. Mm -hmm. We were only able to listen to about seven minutes of the arguments and the questions that they were making. And Sotomayor was also asking and wondering, um, what's the impact of this afterwards? If, you know, they decide one way or another, what is the next step? And um, they were making the arguments of what it means, the constitutionality and the legality of this topic. So, um, again, we weren't able to really catch all of it, unfortunately. Um, but what we did here is Sotomayor, um, do, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well, asking these questions to understand why this was even happening, why this decision has to be made. We're not going to know a decision until next year. That can come as early as January, but the Supreme Court has until June to decide if first they're even going to be able to decide on this case. And if they do, are they going to decide in favor of Trump or of the Dreamers? But you're saying the fight, no matter what the decision is, is not over with DACA. No, no. We'll, we need to work towards permanent protections. That is what's going to take us out of limbo to ensure that we have a permanent solution and that we have a pathway to citizenship. So what I meant to get back to work is getting back home and ensuring that we're electing representatives that are going to fight for us and that are going to stand up for the DREAM Act so that we can have a pathway towards citizenship and able to stay in the place that we call home. 
Well, thank you, Fatima, so much for your time. As you can see, it was a very emotional day here outside of the Supreme Court. We're going to have the details of how this story develops as, uh, you know, the hour goes by. But what I did want to want to mention is that it was a very special day because these dreamers have been waiting two years fighting the Trump administration to hear this case here come to the Supreme Court. So we'll definitely be looking forward to the court's decision in the coming year. That's all the information we have for now. I'll throw it back to you. Thank you so much for this information. And as ZACA finally reaches the Supreme Court, much of the focus will be on the questions of the program's constitutionality. But as always, behind the legal arguments are hundreds of thousands of people whose lives will be significantly impacted by the court's decision. Fabiola Galindo has the story of one DACA recipient in Georgia who has everything to lose. At the young age of 28, Cristian Olvera has reached two important milestones as an immigrant. He formalized his family photography business and bought his first house five years ago in Dalton, Georgia. Thanks to DACA because it gave me a way to strengthen my family business and buy a little piece of the American dream. He came to the U.S. when he was eight years old, undocumented. Though he's proud of his accomplishments, the Supreme Court decision about whether to end DACA has his life and the future of his business in limbo. We teach so many high school students here about their skills to work in a creative environment and know about digital photography. And of course we employ them, but without a protection I won't be able to continue. Dalton has a population of about 40,000 people, of which 4,000 are dreamers like him, a big percentage for a small city that needs workers to support the economy. 4,000 people won't be able to go to work, go to study. It can hurt our economy even more, as right now our industries are struggling, says this activist. Half of the population here is Hispanic. It doesn't take away our perseverance. Sometimes politicians don't see the real impact that we have in our communities or the finances of the country. Another business impacted is the Mexican bakery La Esperanza. The owners here tell us that six of their 15 workers have a work permit through DACA. If they continue employing them, they could risk their business and the employees as well. The government requests the workers have a social security number that they be U.S. legal residents, and without that, we cannot employ them. It is estimated that deporting Dreamers could cost the country up to $460 billion in economic losses in the next 10 years. Whatever the Supreme Court decides, business owners like him say they'll fight to keep their stores open. In Dalton, Georgia, Fabiola Galindo, U News. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the spotlight is back on Congress as it gears up for the impeachment inquiry of President Trump. Live public hearings are set to start Wednesday. Here is a breakdown of what we can expect to see and to hear as well. The impeachment countdown taking closer to public hearings tomorrow. First, the public will hear from top diplomat to Ukraine Bill Taylor and Deputy Assistant Secretary of State George Kent will testify Wednesday. Then, the former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Jovanovich, on Friday. 
Their testimonies expected to detail explosive claims alleging President Trump pressured Ukraine to launch investigations for his political benefit. So how will this week's hearings work? House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff and Republican Ranking Member Devin Nunes will lead the sessions. They'll have 45 minutes each to question witnesses, with staff lawyers likely playing a big role. All other committee members will get five minutes each to do the same. Our strategy is to focus on the facts. Meanwhile, House investigators releasing three more transcripts from the closed-door depositions, including former Ukraine aide Catherine Croft revealing the summer hold-on assistance wasn't the first time the Trump administration delayed military aid for Ukraine. Croft telling lawmakers that in 2017, then-Budget Director Mick Mulvaney held up plans to send missiles to Ukraine, saying he was concerned that Russia would react negatively, despite claims all of the policy agencies were in support of providing the equipment. What's Mick Mulvaney doing making that decision when he's the head of OMB? It's uh, extraordinarily unusual. Croft also testifying Mulvaney was involved in Ukraine policy making this year, working alongside Trump mega donor turned U.S. ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland. The claim corroborating former top Russia advisor Fiona Hill's testimony. And according to Croft and Laura Cooper's testimonies, Ukraine was aware about the hold on security assistance earlier than previously believed. Cooper, the only Pentagon official to testify in the inquiry so far, recalling a conversation with then U.S. envoy to Ukraine Kurt Volker in August, saying he gave a very strong inference that there was some knowledge on the part of the Ukrainians. In that same meeting, Cooper says Volker explained an effort that he was engaged in to see if there was a statement that the government of Ukraine would make that would somehow disavow any interference in the U.S. elections, adding the path that he was pursuing to lift the hold would be to get them to make this statement. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney has changed his mind about trying to join a lawsuit fighting House subpoena power. To join a lawsuit filed by former Deputy National Security Advisor Charles Cooperman, but has since decided to file his own. Mulvaney did not appear for his scheduled testimony Friday, despite being issued a subpoena. That's because the White House told him he should not appear. According to a new filing, Mulvaney plans to sue the White House and also the House. He is asking for a judge's intervention to decide if he should testify or not. And another setback for President Trump. One of Trump's attempts to stop the release of his tax returns has been shut down. On Monday, a federal judge ruled Trump cannot sue New York state officials in a D.C. court at this time. The case is one of many where Trump or those in his administration have asked federal judges to intervene before House Democrats obtaining his financial records. A viral moment at a New York City subway station causing outrage both on and offline. After NYPD officers were caught on camera detaining a woman selling churros to commuters. Blanca Rosa Vilches has a story from the Big Apple. Surrounded by people who do the same kind of work, Elena, a street vendor in New York City, was barely able to contain her tears and emotions. She was arrested by police for selling churros without a license at this subway station in Brooklyn. 
me siento muy, muy nerviosa, muy, este, no sé. Feels very nervous, very stressed, and absolutely devastated. She was doing the same work she's done for the past three years to support her children. She says she's only looking to earn some money. Ahora me quitan, me dan pique y me mandan botando afuera. In the past, the interactions have not been as violent, and they've not taken away her merchandise. A passenger captured the incident on a cell phone. Why are you taking her away? Y'all, she's crying. You're taking her away. She's crying. Can you just like let her keep her stuff? No, man, you could just Why? Can you just back up for right now? What's she doing? Man, just back now. It's illegal to sell food inside the subway stations, and we warned her multiple times that she doesn't want to give it up. That's it. Can she just go outside and keep no. her stuff? No. Justice! Other passengers inside the station demanded fair treatment for street vendors. Even if the vendors today want to go get a permit from the city, there is no way, there is no application. Even the waiting list is closed. However, he says that that hasn't stopped the city from giving summonses to street vendors without a license. The vendors need to sell. They need to work every day to make a living. How would you give them a ticket for not having a permit while you're not offering them to get a permit in the first place? There is not a precise number for street vendors. However, they could be between 10 and 20,000 around the city. In Brooklyn, New York, Blanca Rosa Vinches, U News. A dramatic situation evolving in the aftermath of the resignation of Bolivia's president earlier today. Evo Morales arrived in Mexico in an Air Force plane after Mexican President López Obrador granted him asylum in the country. The Mexican foreign minister greeted Morales and his team upon his arrival. Morales then attended a press conference after getting off the plane. He thanked Mexico for his help and condemned the events that led to his departure from his country. And for more on the situation inside Bolivia, let's go to Pablo Monsalvo. He's standing by in Santa Cruz de la Sierra. Thank you. Former President Evo Morales has already left Bolivian territory, but as the local media say, the problems remain here. The country continues to be paralyzed, and now all the eyes are pointing to the parliament. There it was called for an emergency meeting. The parliament must, first of all, approve the letter of resignation of Evo Morales, his vice president, and all the cabinet of ministers, together with some authorities of the same parliament. If uh, that happens today, uh, they will elect a new president of the Senate, who most likely is going to be a woman, and she will be automatically uh, named as the uh, president of transition of this country, who will lead this South American nation to new, fresh, clear and transparent elections. But that won't happen before the end of December, the beginning of January. These are the dates they are thinking about. So the new president, if elected, will take uh, office not before the last week of December. But before that, there's another big problem to know, and this is the $1 million question today here in this country, if the MAS, Movimiento al Socialista Party, 
Evos Morales political party who have a large, large majority in parliament, if they will attend to this emergency meeting. Because if they don't, the country will get into a new political chaos and another limbo, because if they don't approve officially the resignation of former president Morales, they cannot name a new president of the Senate, which means that person can't be uh, the new president of the, the transition president of this country to lead for the new election. So as you can see, everything is very complicated. It's a kind of puzzle what's going on here, political puzzle, and we don't know what's going to happen. In the meantime, there were a lot of clashes during the night uh, with casualties, but since there's no official voice in the country, it's not the police, neither the army, they don't want to give a number of how many people lost their lives, uh, lost their lives in the last night. There's also some uh, injured in different hospitals across the city. All the major cities are experiencing clashes uh, during the nights um, between opponents and followers of uh, resigned President Morales. The last thing we knew about Morales is that he spent the last 24 hours hidden uh, in this country in a place near the city of Cochabamba where he came from, uh, where he was um, a union leader of the coca uh, leaf workers. Uh, he was himself one of them and he uh, posted on social media a picture of himself sleeping on the floor showing how he lost all the power and how he got back to his roots. Of course, uh, anything can happen in this country. We will uh, be very alert. Now, back to you. Thank you, Pablo Monsalvo, for that report. And actually, staying in Bolivia, let's go to our colleague Univision Noticias Anchor, Enrique Acevedo, who's been following the situation there very closely. So thank you for joining us, Enrique. Thank you, Aranza. So Evo Morales just landed in Mexico and spoke publicly for the first time after resigning his presidency. He is in Mexico because the country offered him political asylum, claiming Morales' life was at risk in Bolivia. So what do you think about that decision? Mexico has a rich tradition of asylum. Uh, we've had uh, figures like Leon Trotsky, like Xiao Viran, um, Luis Buñuel, Rigoberta Manchu, um, even uh, more, more recently, uh, others that, that have, uh, in a way, seek refuge in a country like Mexico. So I think, in a way, Mexico, this government is recovering that rich tradition by offering Evo Morales refuge and uh, allowing him to stay outside Bolivia while hopefully and the country finds a peaceful and democratic solution to this latest crisis. The contradiction here, of course, Aranza, is that while Mexico is sending a private plane to pick up Evo Morales in Bolivia, he, uh, well, the, the, the government of López Obrador is not allowing thousands of Central American and uh, Caribbean families, migrants, seeking refuge from the violence in their countries to seek asylum in the United States and, and in Mexico also. So now, talking about the reaction here in the United States, several lawmakers have tweeted about what transpired in Bolivia, among them Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. In a tweet, he said, quote, I am very concerned about what appears to be a coup in Bolivia, where the military, after weeks of political unrest, intervened to remove President Evo Morales. But I close quote. Many are calling those comments uninformed. So what do you make of the senators calling it a coup, Enrique? I think this is an intellectual trap here in the United States, trying to reduce the question of democracy in Bolivia to, uh, to the question of, was this a coup or not? Um, 
that serves no purpose for uh, the moment, not just Bolivia, but the entire region is going through. And I think the debate here in the United States, uh, when we look at the Western Hemisphere, should be around how do we make sure that we employ not just democratic principles, but democratic methods to the political crisis that's being developing in Bolivia, in places like Chile, in places like Ecuador, of course, Nicaragua and Venezuela. How do we make sure the region stays true to its commitment to democracy, despite all of the challenges and all of the hurdles uh, uh, that, that have appeared in the past, uh, not just 24 hours, but I, I guess the past uh, few years in, in, in Latin America? And how do we do this in the context of inequality, corruption and impunity? But of course, you know, calling this a coup, it's a it's a very delicate situation, Enrique, because, you know, of course, Morales and his people are calling it a coup and of course his supporters as well. But the opposition say that it is not a coup because everything started after these allegations of fraud during the elections that happened October the 20th. And of course, people started protesting. And then eventually, Saturday, the police forces said that he needed to resign in order to save the democracy in Bolivia. So, you know, now that he's gone, what do you think will happen in this country? There's, you know, a big situation right now there where we don't have a leader. They're trying to call general elections. What happens in Bolivia? I think this is why it's useful to frame the debate around the future of, of uh, Bolivia and not around the question of was this a coup or not. What happens next? Well, I think there are many possibilities. First of all, um, there could be a sort of um, international mission led by the Organization of American States, by the United Nations, that sort of organize a new election and a, a plan to move forward in a peaceful and democratic way to bring back social peace and, and, and sort of a, um, a, a, a plan forward for, for Bolivia. Um, the, the truth right now is that Bolivia is not equipped with the institutional strength to carry out the plan of, of a new electoral process. I think it needs um, the, 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 not the help, but certainly the support of the international institutions, international organizations led by the OAS and, and by the United Nations. Enrique, thank you so much for this insight into the situation, this crisis that it's unfolding in Bolivia. We truly appreciate it. And now let's change gears. It looks like El Chapo's beauty queen wife, Emma Coronel, will be joining the cast of an American reality show. BH1's cartel crew will be adding Coronel starting with its second season. The confirmation came a week after photos emerged of Emma and a cast member, Michael Blanco, the youngest son of cocaine godmother, Grisel the Blanco meeting on a yacht in Miami. Cartel crew depicts the lives of eight reality stars with deep family ties to the drug world as they work to make a name for themselves, but outside crime. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the story from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News.
are back. Let's go to Animal Sedona with today's tech stories. Kicking things off with a new study revealing a possible connection between students' use of Facebook and their grades. Annabelle, take it away. Hi there, that's right, and we begin with this. Want to boost your grades? Get off Facebook. That's what researchers suggest after they analyzed the grades of over 500 freshman students and found that the more time they spent using Facebook, the worse their grades were. For example, students who reported using Facebook for three hours a day or more had test scores about 10% lower than those who used Facebook less often. And listen to this one. The war between the many streaming services continues, and you can now add another player to that list. Disney Plus launched today. That's Disney's streaming service. The entertainment powerhouse began pulling back its content from competitors such as Netflix two years ago in preparation for its big debut. Some analysts say it's coming in standing in a position of strength due to its loyal fan base and a content library that's unmatched with big names such as Star Wars, Marvel, The Simpsons, and of course, all of those classic Disney and Pixar films. And more and more people are turning to Dr. Google and Reddit for help on medical diagnosis. According to new research, crowd diagnosis has increased dramatically in the past year. Researchers said they've seen a significant spike in posts regarding STDs on Reddit since November 2018, with the number of posts nearly doubling. People may feel more comfortable reaching out to strangers through a screen rather than an in-person visit, but doctors warn of the implications. There you have it. I'm Annabelle Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then, 